Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Village Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Many of you know that uh, my wife left yesterday on a bus with 40-some other children, or 40-some children, and um, I think the the kids were happier than she was to get on the bus, but they were going to the camp, um, kids, kids across America. So, you know, when you live with someone for so many years, you get to them, used to them speaking into your life. So I don't know how I'm dressed this morning. If I'm dressed, maybe you can tell me and, you know, tell her that, that I did okay without her, you know, that, I, that I, I can do a few things without her. But um, yeah, she's excited about going. And I thought, you know, any woman, any person that's willing to get on a bus for 22 hours with 40-something children that is not yours, that's pretty special to do that. So... And I'm excited for them, uh, and I was praying that uh, the kids would meet Jesus this week while they're there, and many of them do in some powerful ways, but then I thought, if they meet Jesus, they got to meet themselves, which some of them, it could be a terrifying thing. So let's pray for them, um, and when you ride a bus with someone for that long, you're going to get to know them very well, and um, you know, you may find out you like them less than you thought. So anyway... Uh, excited for them, and they'll, they'll be back next Saturday. Uh, it's interesting how God works things, but the singing this morning ties into what I want to put on my heart to share with you. The title of my message is Experiencing God's Love and Forgiveness, and we're in this series called The Plug, and we see the plug is Jesus is our plug to connect us to God, and He does that through us experiencing God's love and forgiveness. And Last week, Pastor Jay spoke, and he said, you know, there, and we can all attest this, there are many of Jesus' teachings that are just hard to, to wrap our minds around, and even harder to live by. There's even a book out called The, the Hard Teachings of Jesus. Um, and for me, that's true. I, you know, I read the scriptures, and I want to grasp them, but it's just, it, it's hard, it's deep, and it's, it's hard to, to, to commit to living by many times. One of those for me that I wrestle with from time to time and, 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 and over my mind is, is John chapter 10, verse 10. Uh, and in that passage it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is a promise and it should encourage my heart. And Jesus is talking about himself and he, before this he says, I'm the good shepherd and the sheep know my voice. And he says, you know, uh, the thief comes in to, to take the sheep away and to kill them and destroy them. And I've come that you'll have life and abundantly. But then I, I think about my own life. And if I were to describe my Christian life, my life as a Christian, many times I don't know if I'd use the word abundantly. Some other words that might describe it more accurately might be struggling, defeated, up and down, discouraged, guilty, stuck and even painful. I don't know about you, but those may be more active descriptors of my life as a Christian. And to me, this is far from what Jesus had in mind in abundant living. So I ask myself, if Jesus' words are true, and I believe and I know they are, what's the problem? Why do I not experience what I would consider abundant life? And if my experience doesn't match the truth of Jesus' words, what's the issue? 
In John chapter 6, we read where Jesus also spoke some hard words for the people that day to hear. Uh, he told them that in that passage, he said, I'm the bread of life. And he went on to say that to connect with me, to be part of who I am and what I'm doing, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. So I, as I read that, I'm, what he's saying to me is that I have to accept his giving of his body and blood as payment for my sins. I cannot save myself. It's un, I'm unable completely to save myself. And I have to agree that I'm totally dependent on Jesus giving himself to reconcile me to God. And I think whenever we take communion after the service each week, that's the statement we're making. We are humbly realizing that we cannot help ourselves. We are beyond helping ourselves. And so we remember his sacrifice of himself, his giving of his body and his blood for us to make us right with God. And then as we participate, we're also saying that we acknowledge and we agree that there is nothing other than Jesus' death and resurrection that can save us. And that was hard for those people. They maybe they thought, well, we have the law, we can, we can work at it, we can make ourselves better. Jesus says, nothing you can do can make yourself better. So in going on to that verse, that passage in verse 66, we read where it said, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to leave as well? Do you want to go away as well, like the others? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Like the people listening to Jesus that day, I find myself sometimes saying, man, this is hard. This life is hard. And I start thinking, you know, maybe there's a better way than Jesus' way. I mean, I see others who don't commit to following Jesus. They don't have a relationship with God, and they seem to be doing okay. And then I think of Jesus' answer, or Peter's answer, you have the words of eternal life. And I ask myself, can I say that as well? Can I say, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. You have the words of life that I need. Or maybe I start believing that maybe there's a life apart from the words of Jesus. And if I act on that belief that there is life apart from Jesus, I start looking for life in other places. I look for it in my work, in my relationships, in my status, maybe my accomplishments. Maybe I'll find life there. Maybe even in my pleasurable pursuits. Maybe I'll find life there. But I don't know about you, but I, I find when I've done this and I've looked elsewhere for life that Jesus says he can only offer, I find that there's less life than the more life I was hoping for. There's an old song, maybe you've heard, it's called, it's, the title is Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Can you relate to that? And if you're looking for life apart from Jesus, we're looking in all the wrong places. A, one, a young man once told me that he defines sin as looking for life apart from Jesus. And Jesus says, the life I give you is abundant life. So when I think about that, I think, okay, do I understand abundant? What do you think of when you think of abundant life? If we think of it in the terms of people around us or maybe our own selves, we, get, we think maybe it's abundance of money and ease with comfort and no problems. 
But I think if I go that way, and what, Jesus, and what Peter said to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life, I'm missing the point. In Galatians 5, 22 to 23, the Bible tells us, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, uh, self-control. Against such things there is no law. As I read this, I think this is abundant living, to have this true in my life. True abundant living is seeing these, this fruit become more evident in my life. And having my life marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are, this is much more valuable than any material abundance I could find on earth. And actually, the op- on the other side, if I have all the material abundance I feel like I need or want, and I don't have these traits in my life, it would be really a life of misery. Even, I would even say it would be like hell on earth because I couldn't enjoy what I have. So I ask myself, why am I not experiencing many times this type of life? Why don't I see these evident in my own life? I think the answer for me is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through chapter 3 and verse 4. And I'll read that together and we'll look at that. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and He describes three types of people here. First, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. For who understands the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In chapter 3, he goes on, But I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? And behaving like in only a human way? And when one says, I follow Paul, and I follow another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human As we look at this, as I said, it describes three types of people, and we would identify them this way. The natural person, the spiritual person, and the last one in chapter 3, a person of the flesh, or we could say a worldly believer. I would like to look at all three of these briefly. The, The natural person, what is that person like? Okay, The natural person, it says, do not accept the things of God. Okay are the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Okay, he is not able to under, he's not yet able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is the state of everyone who has not put their faith in Christ. They are a natural person. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus reminding them that you were formerly like this. In, Eph- in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You were like this. This is who you are. This is your state. You were a natural person. So what is a natural person? What are some a natural person is like? There are some illustrations that I've seen where 
a, a circle represents a person's life. And in that circle, there's a, a, a chair, like a, a throne that is, uh, we call it the control center of that life. As you can see on the screen, this is the natural person, okay? The, as you can see, this person is directed by Satan. He's, self is on the throne of his life. He does what he wants. He fulfills the desires of his or her flesh. Christ, represented by the cross, as you can see, is outside of the person's life. Either by choice or by lack of understanding, this person has not put their faith in Christ. Okay? So that's a natural person. We can identify. We know people like that in their life. They're living their life as they want. They don't concern themselves with the things of God. It's folly to them. They think you're crazy because you're doing this. That's the natural person. The second person is called the spiritual person. And in Scripture it says the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. For who understands the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, we have the mind of Christ. So you can see this person, the spiritual person from the illustration. He's possessed by God as his child, as a child of God. And God is on the throne of his life. Okay, The cross is representing Christ on the throne of his life. He's yielding to Christ. He's submitting. His flesh is submitting to God's spirit. In his life, but still his flesh is a part of his life. It's still wanting to influence this person. And our enemy, the devil, is always waiting, as you can see, to take an opportunity to influence us through our flesh. We can say, we would describe this person as being filled or empowered, directed by the Holy Spirit. Staying directed, staying filled by God's Spirit is God's desire for us. This means we deliberately and consciously keep God on the throne of our lives. He does not demand our control of our lives against our wills. And if we, yield to, if we choose to yield to the influence of the flesh and take control of the throne of our lives, He will sorrowfully step aside and let us do that. And when we do that, we do that from time to time in our lives. We become like the third person described in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 4, which we say is the people of the flesh are worldly. Okay? Where he, he described them this way. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. And he said, brothers. He was talking to the people in the church. You are Christians. I wanted to talk to you as spiritual, but I couldn't. But as people of the flesh, I have to talk to you as if you are people of not of faith. You are like babies in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another Paulos, are you not being merely human? The next illustration we see is of a person. We call it a worldly believer. We can see God has possession of this person's life but he's not in control. This person is a child of God. Their relationship with God is secure because of Jesus' work on their behalf, but they have broken fellowship with God because of their sinful action to take control. Their life is directed by the influence of Satan on their flesh. God is still within us, but he's not on the throne. He seeks to influence us toward his ways by convicting us, showing us our sins through the Spirit's conviction. At the same time, Satan seeks to continue to control us to live through our flesh. It's interesting, it's estimated that 90 to 95% of Christians 
live in this state for periods of time. Some, sadly, for even years. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with this. In Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 25, he says this. And I'll read this in the message version because I think it speaks powerfully to what Paul is struggling with. In this passage, it says, yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent long, a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. But I need something more. For I know, if I know the law, but I still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, are not, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that, that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly re rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there anyone, is there no one who can help do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? And then he finishes by saying, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influences of sin to do something totally different. In another version, he says, but thanks be to God that Jesus has provided the way. This person, this worldly believer, has fallen into sin in one or more areas of his life and has not yielded to God. The result of this is a period of stunted spiritual growth because he is not confessing and repenting of his sins. He's continuing to follow what his flesh desires. And he's allowing Satan to influence his flesh and control him. Believers in this state are the cause of problems in the church. I've seen it myself in my own life. And keep non-believers from desiring a relationship with God. It's interesting, when you think of church issues, some of the craziest church fights and splits can be traced to believers living in the flesh. Here are some examples I found of, of what we fight over in the church. There was one church that had an argument and had a fight over the appropriate length of the worship leader's beard. Where's Kevin? I got to measure it after church. You got, I mean, fought over that. That's crazy. Another argument, they, just, they, they couldn't decide whether to keep the clock in the sanctuary or not. They had an argument over that. Another fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. Another church felt like the worship leader had to have a certain type of shoes on when he was leading worship. Where is this coming from? Is it coming from the Spirit of God leading us or from our own flesh? Another church had an argument when they discovered that the budget of the church was 10 cents off. And it was only solved when a member gave a dime to balance the budget. Another church couldn't decide whether to have just grape juice for communion or a mix of crayon and, and grape juice. It caused a big confusion. Another church had to fight over what type of coffee to serve. And when they moved to a stronger blend, some people left the church. Another church had an argument over whether or not to serve deviled eggs at the church meal. Would God be okay with deviled eggs? Another church member was chastised because she brought vanilla syrup 
for the coffee server. And some people thought it looked too much like liquor. So she was chastised. And then another church had a big fight over whether or not to sing happy birthday each week to the people who were celebrating birthdays. Where do these things come from? Do they come from the Spirit of God? Are we following God's Spirit? Or I believe they come from the flesh. Another story I heard, I don't know the... I heard that these were actual disputes in the church. These brothers, but this is a story I heard. I'm not sure how true it is, but it, 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 it illustrates the point to me. There was a church where the preacher and the worship leader were having problems. And it began to spill over into the service where the preacher would preach and then the worship leader would lead a song contradicting what the preacher said. Um, one, of, one time the preacher preached on commitment and how we should delegate, dedicate ourselves to service. The worship leader got up and he said, I'm going to lead the congregation in singing, I shall not be moved. Another leader, another week the preacher got up and he preached on giving and how we should gladly give to the work of the Lord. The leader got up and said, the worship leader said, we're going to sing Jesus paid it all. Another Sunday the preacher got, he, he, began to, he got up and he preached on gossip. And how we should watch our tongues. The worship leader got up and said, this Sunday we're going to sing, I love to tell the story. And then the preacher became very disgusted and over the situation. And the next Sunday he told the congregation he was considering resigning. The worship leader got up and said, okay, we're going to sing tonight. We're going to sing the, to close our service tonight. We're going to sing, oh, why not tonight? And then finally, when the preacher decided he had enough, he was going to resign, he got up and he told the church, he said, I'm resigning and I want you to know that Jesus led me here, and Jesus is leading me away from the church. To which the worship leader jumped to his free feet, and he said, let's sing what a friend we have in Jesus. You know, and we think about this, and we can laugh at some of these things, but they're really very sad. But let's not ride the church too much. What about in our families? What happens in our families, in our, our living situations? What do we argue about in our families? One of the arguments that comes I've heard about is people argue over which end of the toothpaste to squeeze. Do you squeeze the bottom or the top of the toothpaste? I've heard people went to, actually went, have gone to counseling in a marriage over this. What about when you're putting together a piece of furniture or a toy for your child? Uh, who needs to read the directions anyway? I mean, I know how it goes together, right? What about in your family? Who controls the temperature on the thermostat, you know? Is that a problem? Okay. Or the fan in the bedroom? You know, who controls how fast that's running? What about when you're walking in public? Who controls the speed with which you walk? Does that ever cause a problem? Okay. Um, what, when, and, 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 uh, what, what's so bad about leaving hair in the sink of the, in the bathroom? What, what's bad about that, you know? Or leaving half glasses of water around the house. I'm going to drink it later. It's okay. You know, I don't have to bring it to the kitchen, you know? Or what about not flushing the toilet? Does that cause problems? Okay. Leaving wet towels on the bed? You know, I'll go pick it up sometime, you know? Um, or, this is one, when you're driving together, who knows the right way to drive? Does that ever cause problems, ever cause arguments? Okay. And then this one, people have fights over this. When you, when you put a toilet paper roll in the bathroom, do you dispense it from the top or the bottom? For some people, it's very important, you know. And two of the favorites of Connie and I, where we clash heads sometimes, is who is leaving dishes in the sink? You know, the, the dishwasher is right here. Can you not take it from here to there? Okay. And then another one is a big one. Uh, is like, who drank the last of the milk and didn't write it on the grocery list? Who did that? It causes arguments. Where are those coming from, you know? Is that, is, can you relate? Now think about this. We can laugh at these examples and think how 
How foolish. But then in reality, it's quite sad. It breaks the heart of God when we as his children fight among ourselves and fail to demonstrate to the world the abundant life he has for us. For many outside the church, sadly, they don't see a difference in our lives and theirs. And we looked at the examples of the three people, the natural person and the worldly believer. The way they live, you really can't see a lot of difference, sadly. One Christian author stated, and this speaks to my heart, she says, the world is not looking for a religious version of itself. The world is not looking for a religious version of itself. I had a cousin once who told me he didn't want to attend the church near where he lived because of all the problems in the church. He told me, he said, I have enough problems of my own. If I go there, these give me more problems. And it was really sad. I couldn't disagree because I knew the church. I knew the fights and problems they were struggling with. And because of that, it, the, the people in the world say, why should I come there? I don't see a difference. This worldly believer experiences the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will convict us of our sins. And they will not continue to live this way indefinitely. If they do, they may not really believe at all. So defeated and fruitless, the worldly believer depends on self-effort. I can do it. I'll get better. I'll work harder at it. And self-energy to live the Christian life instead of relying on God's Spirit, His supernatural, inexhaustible resources. We try to hold on to self-interest in one hand, and we grope for God's blessing in the other. And like Paul, we fail time and time again to live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are miserable, feeling hopeless to change. But thankfully, as Paul learned, God has provided an answer through Christ our Lord. We don't have to continue to struggle to live the Christian life in our own efforts. Actually, it's impossible for us to live the Christian life God has for us in our own efforts. Someone once said, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. Only Jesus can live this life through us. Each of us can experience God's love and forgiveness this morning and leave this, spirit, this service under His control. If you identify yourself as the worldly believer, if you say, I, I see myself there, and you desire to be a spiritual person, you can. Okay? You can do that. And I'd like to share a, a, for myself a testimony of how I've seen this happen uh, in, in, in my life, how I've seen um, us change from being someone controlled by God's Spirit to someone living in the flesh. When I was joining the uh, staff of CREW, the organization I serve, um, I went to a training program to join staff. And at the training program, they had different activities you could be involved in along with the studies and preparation. And one of them was they had uh, sports, like intramural sports at college. And so uh, I loved to play softball, so they had a softball tournament. And I, I uh, decided to join that tournament and play in that. Okay. But when I signed up, I, I was too, uh, too late to sign up. They'd already had the teams chosen. And so they needed an umpire to umpire the, the games. And so I thought, you know, uh, I had played church softball, and if you've ever played softball with churches, uh, it can get pretty rough sometimes. Uh, you, you see the flesh pretty quickly when you're not winning, your team starts playing badly. I've seen that with churches. I thought, this will be different because these are all committed Christians, 
And it'll be like, you know, umpiring angels. There'll be no problems here. So I said, sure, let me, let me umpire. So I remember I, I started the game. Things were going on pretty well. They were very competitive and enjoying. And uh, there was a play made. Something happened. And I was blocked by seeing what happened. And I, I couldn't make a decision on, on what to call. Either call the person out or safe. Uh, and then almost instantly, people began to shout at me, make a decision. And then in a minute, they began to shout at each other. And the gloves went on the ground. The fists came up. And they were shouting at each other, and I was shocked. I thought, how do angels fight? I mean, I, I've never seen this. I thought, these people are the, are the cream of the crowd. They're going to serve God around the world. So how, how can this be happening? So I, I was just, I, I was in shock. How does this happen? And then right in the middle of all this chaos, a guy from the side came running on the field. And he began to shout, who is in control of your life right now? Who is on the throne of your life? And he ran up to each group that was shouting at each other. He shouted that. And people started listening. Who is in control of your life right now? Who is on the throne of your life? And everybody got quiet. And I could see guys bowing their head in, in confession, repentance, saying, I took control. In that moment, I was enjoying the game. I took control because I wanted to go my way. And I saw them then turn to each other and say, hey, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? I, Took control. And then when he got calm, they turned back to me, and, and the guy who had shouted to, on the field, he turned to me and he said, okay, the umpire make a decision. And so I made a decision. We continued to finish the game. But it was amazing how quickly things changed. I mean, from a, a great experience to a different, because who was in control? Who was in control of your life? Who's on the throne of your life? And I see it even in my own life. Connie and I. You know, this is something I live every day. This, this, this message changed my life. I remember uh, once uh, when, um, well, I, I, I see this every day. It's a decision I make every day. Who's going who's to control my life? Uh, once when, um, uh, when I come home from work, sometimes when I come home from work, I usually go in the house and I find Connie in the kitchen preparing dinner for us. She's very uh, faithful and very committed so she's preparing dinner, but sometimes I come home and she's not. Maybe she's taking a nap. She's resting. And so I come home and, and, I, have, and I have to decide, okay, who am I going to, what am I going to do? I have this, I, you know, my mind, if I see she's resting, I can say, you know, she needs to rest. Let me, let me get in and prepare the dinner for us and, and help us. You know, I, I can, I feel like this is what God will want me to do. But there's a side of me, a flesh side, that says, what does she mean sleeping? You know, she's had all day to do things. You know, what, what, why is she tired? I'm tired too. I'm hungry. And so I have to decide, what, what am I going to do? Who am I listening to? And then, then maybe I'll say, okay, I'll fix me something to eat. But I'll only fix for me. You know, so I'm, maybe I'm sitting there eating. And she gets up and she comes into the dining room. And she says, oh, you have to make dinner? And I'll say, oh, I didn't know you were hungry. I just made this for me. It's lying. I didn't want to make it for her. So I didn't make it for her because I was thinking about myself. Or if I went out to buy something, I only bought for me because I'm thinking about myself. It's, it's a decision I have to, right, who's going to control me? Who is controlling me? If I love my wife and do what God wants me to do, would I not serve her? If I do what I want to do, I serve myself. And you can see the issues that would come from that, the, the arguments and, 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 and fightings that would come from that. But we don't have to live that way. God said, you don't have to live that way. I, I want to be in control. He wants to be 
in control of our lives. That's, that's what he desires for us. He, his desires that we let him control and live through us. In 1 John 1, 9, it tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To experience his love and forgiveness, we simply confess our sins and accept God's forgiveness by faith. It's the process I've come to call spiritual breathing. It's like when we breathe out the air we breathe in, the used air, we, ex- we exhale, okay? And that's the confession part of it. And then we inhale the clean part of it. We exhale when we confess our sins. And confession is simply to agree with God. Yes, I have sinned. And it has three parts. Okay? First, we must agree that, that we have sinned and wronged God and we've grieved Him. Sometimes that's a problem. Sometimes I can feel like I'm right in doing this. I'm, I'm right. I'm okay. In, uh, in that situation with Connie, I could say, you know, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I, I just did what I wanted to do. And so when God convicts me of it, I have to say, yes, I was thinking only of myself. I, was, I, was, I wasn't thinking of others. I was, I was in, against you, God. And then although God loves us when we have unconfessed sin in our lives, we cannot experience his love and forgiveness. Okay. And in 1 John, verses 8 and 10, it says, chapter 1, verse 8 and 10, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if we say, I, I haven't done anything wrong, I, I haven't sinned, we are not lying, we're not being truthful. And then, after we confess, after we agree with God, yes, I have sinned, then we thank him that he has forgiven all our sins already. His death on the cross, the shedding of his blood, forgave all of our sins, past, present, and future. His, his, his death paid for everything. And we thank him for this truth by faith and then experience his forgiveness. We can know it in our heads. This is, this is the truth, but this is the way we experience it, by thanking him. And then third, we repent. Change your attitude, which results in the change of action. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can turn from your sins and let God control you again. So I would like for us, as we finish our time here, to do an exercise in forgiveness or experiencing God's forgiveness. So I need a couple of people to help me pass out a few small sheets of paper here. Uh, if I can get a couple people from the audience to help me, Grant will come, pass out to this side. At the top it says sermon participation, okay, uh, and I'll, I'll share what, what, what I want you to do as soon as you have those, and, and they're passed out, as quickly as we can pass them out. Thank you for getting them out to everyone, and I'll share what we're going to do with those, okay. Does everybody have one? Everybody have a pen? Something to write with? Okay, I want you to write something on this paper, I'm going to tell you what to do. I want each person to take this sheet of paper and a pen or pencil, and I want us to take two minutes to sit quietly before the Lord as we learn to do in the course that Pastor Rodney taught on emotionally healthy spirituality. And in this time, I want you to ask God to reveal 
any way in your life that you've taken control. Any sin in your life. Maybe you didn't see it, but I wanted to ask you. In, in Psalm chapter 139, verse 23 to 24, we read, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And as you pray this and sit quietly before the Lord, whatever He reveals to you, in any way you've taken control of your life, you've or in sin against Him, write that on that paper. Now, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and tell everybody else. You can do that if you want, but I, that's not what it is. And you're not going to share it with the person next to you. This is just between you and God. Okay? So write it on the paper. And after two minutes, I'll tell you what to do with that paper. So let's just take a couple minutes. I'm going to set my thing, and two minutes is up, I'll let you know. All right? So just sit quietly and ask God to search your heart and see if there's any way you've taken control of your own life. As you take that paper, and as you've written what God has revealed to you, you're writing it was a way of agreeing with Him. Yes, Father, I have sinned against you in this way. I've controlled my own life in this way. And now what I want you to do is across all those things you've written on that paper, I want you to write these words, 1 John 1, 9, where it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So write that all the way across all those words, 1 John 1, 9. And then when you've done that, take that list and just tear it to pieces because it's gone. It is completely over. You've experienced, you can experience His love and forgiveness right now. Okay, Tear it up. And, 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 and sometimes I thought about maybe we could pass an offering plate around you. You put them in an offering plate because basically that's our offering to God. What can we offer God? Our sinfulness. And He takes that. And He forgives us forgiveness. That is the grace of God in our lives. But you take that and, and you, you, when you leave the service, you just make sure you throw it away. Because it, it doesn't. If you confessed it, you've agreed with God that you've sinned, you thanked Him for, 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 for sinning, as you tear it up, you can say, thank you, God. Thank you that you have forgiven me of all these sins, okay? And then, in repentance, you can say, Lord, take the throne of my life again. I've, I've controlled my own self. I don't want to continue. Take the throne of my life again. And when you do that, God may say, you know, when you did that, you offended this person. You offended that person. You need to go and and make that right with them. You need to reconcile with them. So I, I would encourage you to do that as quickly as possible so that you can keep God on the throne of your life and keep living the way He wants you to live. Experiencing God's love and forgiveness. He gives us His love and forgiveness. He gives it to us freely. The question is, do we experience it every day? And, and by doing, experiencing it every day, we live abundantly. We don't live under condemnation. In uh, Romans, when Paul was talking about how he was struggling with doing what was right, and then God um, revealed it to him, and in the end he said, thanks be to God that Christ, Jesus, God through Jesus Christ has provided for me. In the very next chapter, in chapter 8, he starts off by saying, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's like, God doesn't condemn me, nobody condemns me. I can live free of this condemnation. So as the worship team comes and we finish up here, uh, I want to encourage you, as you see on the screen, the steps in confession, I want to encourage you to make this a part of your life, okay? Whenever you realize that I've taken control, I am on the throne of my life, I've sinned against God, I've sinned against others, 
Agree with them that you've sinned. Agree. That's a major thing. Sometimes we struggle with agreeing. We want to blame others. We want to say, oh, but look what he did. God says, look what you did. I want you to agree with me. This is sin. And then thank him. Thank him that you've forgiven all my sins, Father. I agree with you. I confess it. You've forgiven all of them, as your word says. And then say, Father, I want to repent. I want to turn from that. I want to put you on the throne of my life. I want to walk with you. And by doing this, you will continually experience his love and forgiveness. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you that your word promises us your love and your forgiveness for our lives. And as we've this morning just spent a little time understanding that, and Father, I confess to you that on a daily basis I am uh, either tempted or I give in to that temptation to take control away from you and to live life the way I think I should live it instead of what your word says. And I confess that. And I pray you by your spirit and your grace would continue to convict me that I might live life as you want with you in control. Father, I cannot live this life apart from you, and I don't want to. So, Father, I pray that as we go from here, we'll make it our commitment to live our lives with you in control, confessing our sins, thanking you for forgiving us, and repenting, giving you control of our lives. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.